And then Jonathan Haidt, who has publicly stated that he knows the truth, has come out just endorsing the woke narrative on race and saying that slavery never ended, it just changed form. That's what he said. Welcome to the Aporia podcast. This week, Diana Fleischman speaks with Cambridge philosopher Nathan Kofnes. Remember, you can listen to this podcast on all the major platforms. If you like the show, you'll love the Aporia magazine. Find the link in the show notes, along with our Twitter and a link to the bonus questions we ask our guests. Hi, I'm Diana Fleischman, and today we have Nathan Kofnis joining us to talk about his somewhat viral article about the Heterodox Academy and what he sees as its major failures. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. I'm honored to be your first guest. <laughs> um, so let's let's go a little bit into the the history here. For those of you who are not familiar with Heterodox Academy, uh, it was founded in 2015. The aim is somewhat waffly is to increase viewpoint diversity. I've heard from a lot of people that they're not exactly sure what that means, and uh, it does seem like quite a quite an expansive concept. And I think, Nathan, you were involved with Heterodox Academy at the outset, were you not? Not formally, although I would have been, but I was a graduate student at the time. And back then, uh, graduate students weren't allowed to join. But I was certainly, uh, you know, very enthusiastic about it and rooting for them. And uh, although, you know, they certainly became very wishy-washy, but um, in the early days, uh, Jonathan Haidt sort of seemed like he meant business, and he was seemed to be highlighting, you know, uh, the problems. And um, you know, many people thought that this was the beginning of something, of some meaningful pushback. Uh, but as we'll discuss, uh, they they took a turn and didn't work out that way. So for those of you who don't know, John Haidt is an NYU professor of psychology. He wrote with Greg Lukianoff, The Coddling of the American Mind, which I thought had a lot of really great ideas about how education could be improved. And he also wrote The Righteous Mind, which uh, I think is a great book. Uh, some people disagree with the, the foundation's theory therein. Um, so you had high hopes for, for Heterodox Academy at the outset. And why were you motivated to write this piece now about Heterodox Academy? Well, uh, actually, I was motivated to write this piece about three years ago, and uh, this is its own story, which might um, might be interesting to discuss without getting into too many details. Um, uh, but it was very difficult to publish this. Um, and uh, I don't want to name names, uh, but, um, you know, on the right, on in the heterodox conservative uh, world, um, you know, there are certain people that it's very difficult to, to, to criticize. And I think that is part of the, of the reason we got to this situation is it's, so difficult, um, you know, I'm not the first person at all to have these concerns. And we saw uh, the response to the article, I think, clearly shows that, you know, this was bubbling, you know, 
beneath the surface, a lot of dissatisfaction. Um, at every heterodox you know, academy conference, people have been raising these complaints, but it's just not being amplified. Uh, and, uh, you know, yes, I had to jump through uh, a lot of hoops to just get this message out there. Yeah, my impression also is, I, I know I, I'm a member of Heterodox Academy. I know John Haidt is that he's a very agreeable person that Heterodox Academy has assiduously avoided uh, controversy, really. And they have, you know, as, as you say in your piece, they've really tried to be a, a big tent movement. And there are some costs to being a, a big tent movement, which is that nothing really, really happens. So in your piece for academic questions, you basically say, that heterodox academy is paying lip service to heterodoxy and not taking genuine heterodoxy uh, seriously. As we've discussed, you know, heterodoxy is kind of a slippery concept. Um, how would you define it? And how do you think really what's the disparity between what you think is heterodoxy and what you think the heterodox academy is actually doing? Well, I don't, uh, I've come to dislike the idea of heterodoxy um, because I mean, sometimes or frequently the orthodoxy is uh, just fine and doesn't really, we can't challenge every established uh, fact. Uh, so, you know, if you have a university, uh, there has to be some standard for you know, we, where we decide that, you know, we're not going to hire flat earthers or um, young earth creationists. So uh, the idea of promoting heterodoxy per se, I think is confusing or incoherent. Um, but to interpret it in a more charitable way, I think it, it just means stop discriminating against people for expressing views or exploring, uh, you know, areas, areas of inquiry that are legitimate according to uh, accepted standard, intellectual scholarly standards. Uh, so that's what I imagined it meant uh, at the beginning. Yeah. And what kinds of, you, you go into a little bit, I, I've actually seen some responses to your piece, which have actual actionable ideas about what, what Heterodox Academy should should do, which we'll go into a little bit later. Um, but it seems like Heterodox Academy in 2015 was really intent on battling one aspect of, of wokeness. And some people shy away from using the word wokeness. You use the word wokeness and you use a different noun version of wokeness. What do you call it? The wokeism. That's right. Um, some people are shy about using that word. Uh, and so I think around 2015... That was when there was a lot of canceling of speakers. There was people being shouted down. There were protests and people were less comfortable, you know, expressing themselves in classrooms. That was something that, that uh, John Haidt was talking about a lot. And so um, this aspect of it seemed kind of front and center. In your estimation, has Heterodox Academy battled this one aspect of wokeness? They haven't done anything. They've, what have they done? They had some conferences 
uh, where uh, I mean, there was there was nobody, essentially no conservatives at the conference uh, at the conferences. It was you know people like uh, Jason Stanley and um, you know okay John McWhorter. Uh, I'm going to talk about him a, a little more. He's one of those those people that uh, at one well-known magazine, I was very close to to publishing it. Uh, they had accepted it. They sent me the contract to sign, and but they were saying I have to take out the criticism of John McWhorter. And I said, "Why? You know, no real explanation. Just you can't do that." Um, so they'd already cut out a lot of other stuff, and I I finally said, "No, sorry, I'm I'm pulling the." I, as I recall, what, what, what did you say critical about John McWhorter? Just that he was a. So he. Uh, has at one of the heterodox academy conferences, he expressed his off-stated opinion that we shouldn't discuss the possible genetic or the actual genetic causes of uh, race differences. He said this many times, uh, and he said it at the heterodox academy conference, uh, and all the other speakers just nodded in agreement. There was no discussion about that. Everyone just accepted. Yeah, you shouldn't talk about uh, this. That's too. That's too much. And uh, then I, I uh, pointed out that he afterwards he was given an award, the Free Inquiry Award mm -hmm. by Heterodox Academy, and I suggested that that was where I implied that there was some tension between what he had done and what Heterodox Academy was recognizing him for. Yeah. Yeah, in your piece, you talk about some other things that have been said at Heterodox Academy. For example, uh, Amy Wax, you said that, what was it? They said that she shouldn't, it's okay that she's not allowed to teach certain things to students. Right, everyone just agreed that she, it's it's fine. Uh, and this was some years ago before, now she, there, there's been other controversies about uh, Amy Wax. At the time, uh, which she still has done nothing wrong, but uh, to be clear. Uh, but at the time, all she did was, uh, th that got her in trouble originally, was she said that uh, blacks are more likely to be in the bottom half of the class. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess that was the main reason why she wasn't allowed to teach required courses at Penn. And according to the Heterodox Academy speakers, that was... Uh, that was fine. And, uh, you know, Heterodox Academy never was really uh, interested in defending her or others like her. Yeah, you, 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 know, you been, talked about another uh, quote from uh, a woman at a Heterodox Academy conference where she said, essentially, you know, that bias and incidents were not an example of free speech and that it's not okay. Free speech does not extend to questioning someone's existence, which is a, a kind of a way that... Yeah. So she she's actually a diversity administrator. Yeah, yeah I did actually... That they're inviting to the... the um, so it's a, it's such a big tent movement. It includes people like that, but, you know, nobody like Amy Wax or nobody on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, and so John Tomasi, he had a, a reply to my 
my article, which I felt was unsatisfying in many ways. But when I, I guess, responding to my point that Heterodox Academy has become a club for liberals, he said, uh, what was the uh, statistic? Um, that I think 14, okay, he says, uh, Heterodox Academy is nonpartisan. 14% of our members identify as right conservative. Um, okay, but they are not, they're never invited, they're, they're never given a platform by Heterodox Academy. They just signed up for the, the email list. Yeah. Uh, but the, the Heterodox Academy has not actually welcomed them as equal participants. And certainly not people who are you know, doing genuinely um, unpopular work in the academy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so uh, John Tomasi issued a, an apology and in that apology uh, he made various, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call them excuses necessarily, but he was saying essentially, you know, we're not trying to leverage political power. What we're trying to do is create a movement that creates change from the inside. So I'm just going to push back on you a little bit and say, you know, if Heterodox Academy is using this gentle method of getting people on board with this message that dissent is okay and that heterodoxy is okay and making change from the inside rather than leveraging external political power, and, and we'll talk a little bit later about what leveraging external political power looks like, because there are people who are trying to do that right now. Wouldn't that be difficult for you to measure or see? Isn't it difficult to figure out what the world would be, how the world would be different, how the academy would be different if Heterodox Academy never existed? Um, so uh, Tomasi also makes the, uh, the point. He says, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, so we're not allowed uh, to... Uh, he said, we're not allowed to advocate for political uh, candidates, political parties, or legislation. Mm -hmm. um, so that was his, his main response to my challenge. Why are they, they not uh, you know, exploring? Because there's going to need to be some political organization in order to solve some of these problems, and Heterodox Academy shows no interest in that, um, especially with allying with Republicans. Uh, and... This is a cop-out, I think, for a few reasons. Uh, first, it's not like they're not allowed to ever mention politics as a 501c3 organization because uh, Heterodox Academy conferences include plenty of Republican Trump bashing. Mm. They, don't, they don't cut off the microphone and say, no, we're a 501c3 organization. Can't do that. But they have Trump bashing. They don't have anything on the other side, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I searched Heterodox Academy's website for DeSantis. Yeah. And I got, I got a hit right, of them complaining about his laws. Uh, so, but okay, yeah, it's true. As a 501c3 organization, they can't, you know, officially endorse candidates. But still, one important point is that they've gone out of their way to alienate conservatives. And that 
was one of the original uh, uh, complaints that John Haidt expressed about the academy was that there are all the you know conservatives are being alienated that you can make jokes about conservative uh, candidates. That was what he said in the beginning, and that that was why they were founding Heterodox Academy. How hard is it to avoid doing that? Uh, and uh, but the other reason I thought Tomasi's answer was a, a cop out is Heterodox Academy is more than the legal entity. Like everybody knows that. Uh, okay, so the law says whatever it is, I don't know the details of the law, but Jonathan Haidt, you know, is kind of representing the heterodox academy movement and other people who are closely associated with it, who don't want anything to do with Republicans, are always telling people how they bragging about how they don't vote for Republicans, they would never vote for a Republican. Uh, and a lot there are many reasons why we should get over our allergy to the Republican Party, including the fact that a lot of the the woke problems and the censorship is a response to a legal environment that was created by the Democrats. They've made laws that, um, you know, like... Uh, the kangaroo courts uh, for investigating yeah. uh, various, those are all demand, you know, they were created by the government. And now, so we need the government to undo those laws. And if you say you're never going to vote for a Republican, you're, and you're not serious or, um, and you're going to alienate Republicans and conservatives, then you're not going to solve those problems. So let me try to paraphrase what you're saying. You're saying that if Heterodox Academy was truly heterodox, if it really had a representative uh, number of conservatives and Republicans, then you would see criticism of both the left and the right, you know, at Heterodox Academy. And that if Heterodox Academy hadn't, you know, allowed such a preponderance of, of views at its conference, if they said, look, you know, there is a, there is a red line here, which is you can't say that anybody should deep, you know, be deplatformed or not allowed to teach courses, regardless of uh, what they say about sex differences, race differences, their political allegiances, then we would have a heterodox academy that was more representative, where people didn't feel comfortable just insulting, you know, one side of the political landscape here in the United States, and would potentially be able to wield more power because it would have a more centralized mission. Well, and also the people who who are associated with the Heterodox Academy movement broadly construed and are within its orbit, who are legally allowed to, you know, talk more openly about politics than if they're speaking on behalf of the organization. Yeah. Uh, they also should uh, should be exploring political uh, uh, possible political action. And now it's true that if uh, Heterodox Academy um, did what I'm suggesting, then that would alienate some some people who, you know, on on the left, uh, it might alienate the the head of a diversity 
uh, the, the the woman that you quoted before yeah. saying that you know free, free speech doesn't mean maybe she would feel alienated if heterodox academy took those uh, positions but that would be okay because those people are part of the problem so maybe they shouldn't be part of the organization that is uh, devoted to fighting the yeah, problem. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that if everybody, no matter what their views, feels welcome at Heterodox Academy, then that necessarily means that Heterodox Academy uh, doesn't have a vision of, of anything that anyone disagrees with, which means that they don't really have a vision. Yeah, that that was the maybe one of the most bizarre parts of Tomasi's reply is he says, we're not an anti-anything organization. Yeah, he said that they're not an, an anti-wokeness organization. If you're pro-X, that means you're anti the, the forces that are against X. That's what yeah. it means to be pro-X. So if you're pro-free speech, you have to be anti the things that are against that. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually like Heterodox Academy for some of the reasons that you criticized. I, I like that it's sort of a, a book club and people get together and they chat and it's it's very friendly. But I also would say, you know, there's something sort of pathologically agreeable about an organization that was founded to make change, but now, you know, is is talking about making change from the inside. And as you said, um, is not really pointing uh, to anything specific. Okay, um, so your piece, I read uh, the the forum uh, responses to your piece. I was surprised at how uh, well people responded to it. And, you know, I was actually also surprised that Tomasi um, responded to it as well. Don't you at least think it's laudable that Heterox Academy is willing to engage with uh, its critics? And even, you know, I don't know how many more reads you got or if you have statistics on how many people have looked at your piece, but I imagine many more thousand people saw it after he released his statement. Yeah, sure. And by the way, I think Tomasi, I don't know him personally. I've never met him, but he seems like a, a nice guy. I'm sure he's, he's well-meaning and his response to me was well-meaning. Um, so, you know, it's not, uh, I don't, I'm not want to sound like I'm, criticizing him personally, but this is a serious issue. And, you know, if somebody is uh, assuming a leadership position, you know, we do have to speak frankly about, um, you know, what's happening. Um, so yes, although I do, it's, it's nice that he replied, he acknowledged my criticisms, uh, albeit under, I think a certain amount of pressure okay. from uh, Heterodox Academy members. I was disappointed by the fact that he didn't really reply to the main points that I'd raised and kind of repeated some uh, talking points about working for sustained uh, change. cultural change. Um, okay. Um, I, you know, one of the most important points that I raised is that Heterodox Academy is not giving a platform to uh, you know, people doing the most controversial or unpopular work, not so controversial among people who actually work in this area, but the most politically unpopular uh, work on race differences. There's been absolutely no attempt to to um, support people 
uh, doing that at Heterodox Academy. And he didn't, he didn't reply to that. He didn't, he didn't deny it. He didn't say in the future, we're going to make such people feel welcome or supported. Yeah. So I think that would go under whatever questioning existence. So, uh, in the show notes, you'll see a statement, but, uh, John on the, John Tomasi on the, uh, forums and then in the statement, uh, wasn't willing to talk about the specific person that was not allowed, um, into heterodox Academy. Um, will you talk a little bit about this person and what kind of work he does and, and what his experience with heterodox Academy was? Okay. So Hamoth Nyborg, uh, is a, uh, a psychologist in Denmark who has done work on uh, race and IQ and other controversial topics. And he has applied, I believe he's applied uh, for membership to Heterodox Academy four yeah, times. Yeah, I saw that. He seems very tenacious. And <laughs> was uh, rejected uh, because they said he was associated with a so-called hate group. Yeah. Um, and we haven't been able to confirm with certainty which group this was, but we're qu quite sure that it was, uh, this was because he gave a talk at American Renaissance uh, in 2017. And this was the reason why they said he's a he's associated with a hate group and he can't be a member of Heterodox Academy. Now, American Renaissance is not a hate group. They uh, they are called a hate group by the SPLC and other such organizations because they um, give a platform for frank discussion of race differences, and uh, they advocate what they call white interests. Um, now, if they're a hate group because they advocate white interests, and in a way that no reasonable person would consider hateful, just talking about you know affirmative action and this kind of thing. Now, if American Renaissance is a hate group because of that, then every black studies program in the United States is also a hate group and is a worse hate group than American Renaissance. So um, that was obviously a preposterous uh, uh, excuse for rejecting him. And I believe that his work, uh, I can't, uh, some private correspondence I can't get into, but there was some suggestion that uh, there was hostility toward Nyborg at Heterodox Academy also because of his work yeah. and his research topic. I mean, I think Helmuth said that even potentially more than the, the race stuff that he works on, he also made the claim that IQ tests, you know, there is actually a sex difference in IQ and that IQ tests have been altered to equalize the sexes uh, in IQ. And yeah, in many ways, uh, I think some people find that even more controversial. I can't remember what he said. It was three or four points um, between men and women, men obviously scoring higher. But um, American Renaissance, I, I just had a poke around. I know very little about them. But 
you know, wouldn't you say it's fair or maybe you don't think it's fair to call them a white supremacist organization? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, white supremacy, white supremacy suggests that you think that whites should be in charge of non-whites. It should be supreme over uh, other races. So I would call them a white nationalist organization. Mm -hmm. So they, they feel that, um, you know, uh, they identify with whites uh, as a, as a group and uh, think that the ideal situation would be one in which whites were living in their own, area with very few non-whites, which is not, not my thing, but, uh, you know, that if you say that's hate, then you've got an awful lot of hate groups, yeah. non-white hate groups yeah. in the United States. I, uh, um, I see what you mean. Um, so, so this, this kind of leads, be... you know, seamlessly into, uh, so, you know, I think, uh, what people were talking about a lot on the forums uh, and what I thought people found most objectionable, you know, in the beginning part of your essay, you talked about it being a big tent movement, it being sort of a social club, that kind of thing, and not really leveraging political power. But what you think is at the heart of wokeness is this idea that inequality can be explained uh, purely by social forces and biological and genetic forces or, or causes are never allowed um, into the discussion. And that if we do not protect uh, the right of people to do research in these areas, or to speak on them, and we don't actually have them in heterodox academy, uh, then we're not truly heterodox. And, you know, you say that this is sort of the, the root of wokeness is this refusal to acknowledge some of these causes. Um, so, you know, why do you think race uh, and race differences are, are really central to this to this issue. So wokeism is the consequence of taking the egalitarian thesis seriously. So for the last two or three generations, almost all liberal intellectuals, most mainstream conservative intellectuals as well, have accepted the idea that ability is distributed among all groups equally. Uh, may, definitely races, perhaps sexes as well. And yet the uh, disparities between races persist. Um, and you know, so what do you, how do you explain that? Uh, that raises some uh, a political problem. People want to know why is this group not doing as well as the, as the other group? And uh, the only explanation, if you say we're not gonna, we're not gonna consider the biological explanation that there's a different average, uh, 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 the distributions of different averages, then the only explanation that makes sense is the racism theory. Now, of course, conservatives, the mainstream conservatives have their own sociological explanations that it's, uh, you know, uh, the result of bad liberal policies or Other Democrats are the real racists or, or yeah. whatever it is. And those are um, 
are uh, pretty silly. And uh, so those kinds of explanations just get rejected on scientific grounds because they don't make sense. So, but for everybody else, uh, you see the disparities. Uh, there's no explanation except racism. But we can't really find a lot of examples of racism and certainly nothing that could, it seems, could explain these phenomena. So they search more and more for racism. And, you know, they think, well, maybe, maybe microaggressions, uh, uh, looking at somebody cross-eyed, asking somebody where he's really from, or, or um, you know, a statue of a white man who had a politically incorrect belief. I think social justice is a little Maybe. bit like, uh, like mm. physics. They keep looking for smaller and smaller particles. Yeah, well, they have to. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the difference being that the, the, in the woke case, it's pseudo-scholarship. Mm -hmm. uh, but so they have to attribute, you know, tremendous destructive power to these very small cases of supposed or imagined racism. And then that leads to, um, you know, very extreme responses and cancellations and censorship. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty much inevitable. If you really take this idea seriously, everybody, African-Americans and Japanese-Americans have exactly the same. They're born exactly the same. Uh, and it's some sociological force that causes significant differences in outcome. Uh, then uh, I, I think it's inevitable that uh, you're going to get wokeism. Now, a lot of people, liberals, uh, who accept the, the empirical premise that motivates wokeism, they don't like where we ended up. They don't like living with the threat of cancellation and having to walk on eggshells and all that. So they would like to just turn the clock back to 2011 uh, and pretend that you know, the last several years didn't happen. But it's not going to work. And unless you're allowed to, uh, to criticize the core belief underlying wokeism, then there's no point. Yeah. We're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, so if you take the racism thesis seriously and you don't see any overt racism or very much overt racism in policies, you know, for the last several years, then you have to look for, you know, smaller and smaller instances of racism or even things like implicit bias, which is now a, a big explanation. I was, um, I did some grant uh, review training and I was taught about implicit bias, which was, um, awkward given that it's not very well replicated, uh, we're <laughs> not replicated at all field. So if you take this racism thesis seriously, then it also causes you to want to cut off any critique of the racism thesis because the critique of the racism thesis causes disparities in and of itself. Right. And that, that's a that's a major macroaggression. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you can't. There's just no way that people are going to allow that if they 
if they believe that that is harming, you know, society, uh, you're going to get censorship. Uh, you know, if if you allow people to follow these ideas to the logical conclusion, yeah. and the uh, heterodox academy, so because you know this is the foundation of wokeism and you know really the the academic and uh, political left establishment so that's why there's such an extreme taboo on this particular issue talking about the genetic basis of differences uh, so yeah if heterodox academy uh, now as i mentioned in the article Jonathan Haidt is a, a very informed guy. He knows all this stuff. Yeah. He said it. It's public information. Uh, he used to talk about it openly, and there was every indication that Heterodox Academy was going to welcome people uh, who, you know, were interested in this kind of thing. And that's why, you know, the first conference was a big disappointment. And... Uh, and then the second conference, and then Jonathan Haidt, who has publicly stated that he knows the truth, um, has come out and I don't know what his motivation for this is, but saying that uh, just endorsing the woke narrative on race and saying that slavery never ended, it just changed form. That's what he said. Uh, and and uh, that just before that, he was saying just different groups might have different interests. Mm. He's saying that was the the alternative, but now he's just gone full. I think it's it's ironic when um, East Asians don't do this very much, but when when Jews endorse this kind of idea because obviously Jews have endured some degree of persecution, if Jews were doing very poorly, they were overrepresented in prisons if they were overrepresented uh, in, you know, if they, if they got poor test scores or whatever, it'd be very easy to say something like, well, criticism of Israel is causing Jewish children to perform, you know, poorly, but, but nobody says stuff like that because that's actually not what's, what's happening. And so it's, it's quite telling uh, that Jews are so overrepresented in the Academy. Uh, they're, quote-unquote lived experience shows that this kind of discrimination and prejudice actually doesn't make a huge difference to academic achievement, and yet they espouse this 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 racism thesis um, on the basis not just of not great external evidence, but contrary to their own experience, right? Look, I mean, there are so many problems with the racism explanation for these differences. Uh, uh, one of the most obvious being that it doesn't seem to work or works very differently for different groups, yeah. you know, the racism. Yeah. Racism makes uh, Chinese I, people perform I, ex excellently. <laughs> you know, I, I met Jews who, you know, they went straight from pogroms to Dachau and uh, then, you know, they, they walk out and then they perfect, then doesn't seem to have a, a big effect on their yeah. outcomes, obviously. But implicit bias is supposed to explain, you know, 
standard deviation plus difference in uh, yeah. I remember seeing Dr. Ruth, who's tiny in part because she was uh, nutritionally deprived and she was sent to a concentration camp. Um, and obviously, <laughs> very smart woman, um, uh, although some, some time ago in terms of cultural memes. Okay, so, you know, you seem to have, you didn't really explain it fully, but you seem to have a vision of how an organization like Heterodox Academy could become more focused and could leverage political power. There are people who are doing stuff like this right now. So, you know, Ron DeSantis is uh, closing down some courses, closing down DEI. Chris Rufo and Ron DeSantis have famously uh, taken down, I think it's called the New College of, of Florida, and taken it over. Um, there are some people who are trying to form new institutions. The, the University of Austin is, is a new institution that people are trying to um, put together that have more, uh, you know, heterodox, liberal, whatever you want to call it, uh, principles. What do you think of these kind of interventions? Is this what you would hope for Heterodox Academy, or do you think other people are, are doing it better? I think, although I, I, I very much appreciate the approach that DeSantis and Rufo are taking, but I think that that has to be done with more guidance from, you know, people on the inside and from serious scholars uh, who have a more detailed understanding of uh, how to create an institution, you know, to promote scholarship. These, uh, you know, Republicans can often come across and in fact be uh, anti-intellectual thugs um, kind of imposing them themselves with force, you know, on the university and then filling it with, you know, Christian fundamentalists or conservative activists who are not really um, uh, who are not necessarily uh, elite scholars and the kind of people who should be occupying these positions. Um, so we just need to kind of combine a couple of groups of people so that they can work together. You know, the, the takeover of New College of Florida, um, yes, I maybe maybe some some good could come of it, but you're going to use up a lot of political capital taking over an institution which is not going to have a lot of influence over the culture. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with all the, the faculty there who are appear to be, uh, you know, not on their side at all. So they're going to, I guess, mix in with the, uh, just impose a bunch of conservative activist administrators. I'm. It reminds me very much of like I'm how skeptical. totalitarian regimes like nationalize, you know, industries. They just come in and they take over. You know, these people who work at New College are not being sent to like camps or anything, but the whole thing is just, it's so hostile 
And I don't know how anybody could look at that and say, that's, that's going to be good for, you know, our side. What, what the thing is, we have thousands of scholars who have been pushed out of academia because of their, you know, they're too white or they're too, uh, they have, a, they're too masculine, they're too uh, autistic, they're too eccentric. Um, you know, if you would just take, find a few hundred of them and re recruit them to an institution, uh, you don't have to even have to create a new one. Yeah. Uh, that um, composed of faculty who would actually inspire respect of other uh, scholars. Uh, and, you know, what we want, we just want to not be discriminated against. That's the main thing. You know, when I apply to jobs, in, you know, often I have to write a loyalty oath to wokeism, a diversity statement. And I, my diversity statement says that I um, am interested in diversity of opinion, although there's more to some subtlety that to that, but I'm interested in diversity of opinion and respecting everybody and, and so on. Well, I've never gotten even long listed at a job that requires a diversity. I've, I've heard that GPT-3 yeah. is very good at writing diversity statements because the last time I tried to write one, I, I really struggled and I had to write uh, at length. It felt pornographic about who I like to have sex with. It was odd <laughs> about being Jewish and about, uh, about whatever sexual orientation I have. Um, your diversity statement, I imagine, is quite short and uh, and it's difficult to write. Uh, well, it wasn't difficult because I just wrote the truth. This is the problem that the, the truth uh, disqualifies me. And even if I didn't have a diverse, the, the diversity statement is just to make sure that you're on board. Uh, but there's lots of other evidence that I'm, uh, that I've crossed the line. Um, so, you know, th this is also another big problem, uh, maybe the biggest problem actually, is that universities have just so many people have been hired who don't do real scholarship. They have nothing to contribute. They're just activists. Uh, um, and I don't know what you're gonna do about that. Uh, they're there, they're, they're gonna get tenure uh, and they're going to be in charge of hiring the next generation. And uh, I uh, am reluctant to suggest a solution, but, you know, we have to recognize that the, the problem, and one of the, the biggest problems is that on the university camp campuses, there are people... They're not going to change their minds if we tell them about John Stuart Mill uh, or whatever um, and free speech. They're the, they're just there to be activists and to uh, uh, and to do nothing and not to do any ser serious scholarship. And they couldn't do real scholarship probably even if they wanted to. So you uh, you, you wrote this piece about heterodox academy and. You obviously put a lot of time and, and thought into it, but it's unclear to me kind of how optimistic you are 
about actually being able to change institutions, even if, you know, things were arranged, uh, if there's an organization that was willing to, to um, exercise political leverage and that had uh, a truly representative political spectrum within it. Um, you know, I just wanted to push this a little bit. You know, how likely do you think this is? Do you think it's possible at all? Because you do seem quite pessimistic about, you know, the state of the economy and scholarship right now. Yeah, um, we're uh, we're we're in trouble. Uh, um, and there, in order to correct this, you know, a lot of things need to start happening at once, and that is the function of a leader, right? Uh, Heterodox Academy was supposed to provide some kind of leadership. Uh, in the end, they did nothing, mm. um, but you know, hopefully somebody is going to come along who understands, you know, what the goal is, where we need to end up and can start, uh, you know, bringing people like DeSantis and Rufo uh, uh, in uh, uh, coordinating their efforts with, uh scholars who are also recognize these problems you know, a more modest and achievable goal if you just had one you know moderately uh, well-endowed university uh, or something like the you know the university of chicago which got so much positive press from the and praise from the heterodox establishment because of their so-called free speech principles, which they, uh, I mean, it's true that Chicago won't fire anybody just for expressing uh, the wrong view. Like uh, if they had someone like Amy Wax, they wouldn't fire her, but they're basically just as woke as every other uh, university. And uh, they're not, you know, a year or two ago, their English department at the University of Chicago announced they're only hiring, or they're only accepting yeah. PhD students who study black studies uh, that year. And, um, you know, I know a recent PhD student who says that uh, there's just as much woke, wokeism and pressure to conform as there is anywhere else. Uh, the job advertisements that I've seen, no more friendly to, um, you know, nonconformists than, than any other university. But if some university like University of Chicago decided to stop behaving that way and to just hire all the people who've been pushed out, who, are, uh, uh, who can't get jobs because of political reasons, then they would be, a, you know, look how much at, uh, interest the University of Austin generated with just a summer program with a couple, uh, you know, uh, a couple of faculty members saying somewhat politically incorrect ideas. If the University of Chicago did it, uh, for example, they they would be absolutely flooded with uh, you know applications from from top students and uh, uh, 
many uh, uh, academics would want to to be there, and then other institutions would see that it's working, and then um, that could potentially have a you know a very meaningful effect. Why do you think they're not doing that? Well, I think that why is it that wokeism, the problem is wokeism has basically taken over as the ideology of the intellectual class. And the reason for that is that the alternative to wokeism, that is the only alternatives to wokeism that are politically acceptable are kind of low IQ conservatism, which when it comes to the race issue, it has nothing but stupidity to offer. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's because of the taboo on talking about race differences. If we could, that's why I say that's the most important. That is really the only important issue. Everything is stemming from that. I and mean, that's, um, can't attract, seduce intelligent people away from wokeism unless you're allowed to talk about biological reality. And until that happens, it will be difficult to get a critical mass of smart people to actually get together and make meaningful change. Okay. I, I think that there's also yeah, some some degree of, of personal risk that people have. Um, you know, many people on the left are very willing to, you know, cut off friends uh, and even family uh, for expressing these kinds of views. And so I think that there's a lot of levels of, of censure that people are, are worried about. Um, and, and also I would, um, I would note that Academia selects for, you know, conformity and timidity at every level mm -hmm. from uh, grade school to high school to college. And, uh, and uh, so you certainly, these kinds of changes are, are, uh, are, are difficult when the kind of people that you're working with are disproportionately, you know, very risk averse and careful. Somebody like with DeSantis's personality is not going to become the president of the university not, no. in most cases. Um, so, in, in human diversity, Charles Murray says that the genetic revolution is going to is going to change this discourse. That he thinks there's going to be a huge shift in how people think. Um, do Do you think that that's something that's going to happen? Um, I actually expressed a similar view uh, in one of my papers, although I've become skeptical of this. We already have overwhelming evidence. If it were a question of evidence, we already have the evidence. Uh, they'll come up with new, uh, with every new piece of proof, they come up with a new argument how it's logically possible that... Um, it could be wrong, uh, even if there's some 
breakthrough in quantum computing and we're able to model exactly how the gene leads to the difference in uh, brain structure uh they'll they'll come up with some reason why quantum computers are racist and uh and uh, really unless you can you know trace trace every atom that uh, and they'll just make some come up with some test that that is is still impossible that and they won't be satisfied until that's that's done yeah so yeah we already have the evidence if it were a matter of evidence this this debate would be over yeah and and as as you know i think you've you've talked about another work the racism thesis is not exactly you know predictive you couldn't say okay I, i'm going to tell you about how discriminated against this person is and you're going to predict how well they're going to do in life you know, that's not a thing that you could do. Um, all right. So we have these questions that we ask um, at the the end of interviews. And uh, the first one is, who do you think is the best uh, critic of your worldview? Who should we read for a good criticism of your of your worldview? Yeah, well, I knew this question was coming, but I'm not quite sure uh, what is my worldview. <laughs> Now, if you want to hear our guests' answers to the bonus questions that we ask, then you need to become a paid supporter. And you can do that over on our Substack page for just $6.99 a month or $69.99 a year. I promise you it's well worth it. Supporters also get early access to the podcast and to our special filmed conversations, which go up over on the main channel somewhere over there or down below. The link is, is always down below. And of course, if you liked this, then you will love our online magazine. And you can check that out by clicking the link down below. And if you are so inclined, you can find the links to our Twitter and TikTok. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you in the next one. Uh, who is the smartest person you've ever met? I'd say the person I've met who is most li like the Hollywood kind of genius uh, would probably be if you would just mention a, you know, a passage in a book, he might start quoting the passage at length from memory and um, he could uh, his knowledge of intellectual history uh, uh, politics uh, he could speak uh, on any subject you know beautifully he was kind of like Chomsky except the stuff he said is actually correct <laughs> yeah.